hello and welcome back to the Dentistry Online podcast. Um, I'm here today with Natalie Bradley, um, a blogger who is currently specialising in special care dentistry. Um, so, I mean, how have the last seven to eight months been for you? Um, a bit of a roller coaster, really. Um, it's been, it feels like it's been longer than seven months, to be tell. honest. So um, I think, so uh, during the pandemic, I kind of, um, I was still, I still worked throughout kind of the first peak and still working. It feels a bit more normal now in terms of uh, second lockdown isn't quite as profound as first, but um, first lockdown feels a long time ago, but I, I was working in the um, urgent dental care hubs um, in London and Surrey, both hot and cold ones. So potentially seeing patients who had COVID or more vulnerable people as well as seeing um, uh, you know people who, who, who really struggled to get dental care during the pandemic um, so I still um, was working clinically as well but things have progressed a lot I seem to have picked up a lot of projects during the first uh, lockdown as well but now I've come to realize I'm back working clinically four or five days a week actually <laughs> do I have capacity to do this anymore but <laughs> it's all good <laughs> So you, you, so you were working, you had to, when, at the start of the pandemic, when these, these cases were coming in of, of people who needed dental care and they, they had COVID, you were there to, to, um, to treat them, essentially. Yeah, I was working, so um, I work in, um, well, I worked during the pandemic in, in a hospital which was dedicated in case there were people who were hot or what, what so... It's funny when you say that over phone to a patient, like, are you a hot patient? <laughs> but um, it, it could have gone very well and very bad. Like, we only see hot patients here. <laughs> um, but yeah, so people who had potential symptoms of COVID or potentially could have COVID, but to be honest, not very many came through um, the books. And even if they did, it, we tried to manage a lot of them remotely in the same way that a lot of... Um, other hubs are working in terms of um, AAA remote driving uh, all of that so we did, didn't really rarely uh, saw anyone who actually had a confirmed COVID uh, diagnosis so I did go down to some of our wards in the hospital um, during the pandemic where there were some patients on some wards uh, who, who um, a lot of them contracted it when they were in the hospital versus in the community at that uh, definitely during the earlier stages but yeah um, we do have an arrangement with our wards in our hospital. If anyone is in the hospital and has a, a dental problem, um, we we generally are happy to pop down and give them advice, whether that's they've got a really loose tooth or a very dry mouth or they're struggling with mouth care. Um, we do pop down as well. So, yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, I can imagine. I think in those, it's, it's funny to look back now when... Um, in the in the, uh, the early stages testing obviously wasn't where it's at today so I guess a lot of people probably had the virus and just couldn't access any testing so I remember there was really early on what you'd have is a suspected case of COVID and you'd just self-isolate and you'd never get it confirmed whether you had it or not um, most likely obviously these people probably did um, but yeah because there was no testing there was no way of um of working it out and you're right it seems like such a long time ago now but I mean obviously we'll talk more about the pandemic in a minute but special care dentistry is is yeah like we said what you what you're specializing in how did how did you get into that so how what's your journey into dentistry so I wasn't really aware of my specialty when I when I graduated uh -huh. um 
and actually I don't think there's a huge awareness of what special care dentistry is amongst the general profession really and um, so we work with people who have impairments or disability um, and I think it was it was during my I did DFT my first foundation uh, my foundation year and then I worked uh, as a core trainee in a hospital um, and as part of that uh, we had a couple of days rotating in the walk-in acute clinic so anyone could walk in with a dental problem and over time uh, I became the person in the department that if anyone particularly challenging <laughs> whether that be cut there why do you think that is why did you do you think it's the way your your communication skills yeah I think so and I think I generally took an interest in in managing these patients and we worked with a lot of students on the department so it, anyone who was a little bit more challenging anyway we kind of took the house officers that's what we were known when we did uh, my 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 core training year uh, that we would divvy up between us and if, if there was someone who was more difficult um and i think that the head of the department actually recognized that i i i enjoyed spending a little bit longer with these patients um it wasn't really so I spent, I spent longer with these patients. It wasn't really kind of their treatment was particularly more difficult sometimes. It was allowing the, them to have the treatment or working out consent processes or working with a lot of people who were homeless walking in on off the street. And I just was really not like, like curious about, okay, I don't really, you, normally I wouldn't come into contact with a lot of these patient groups. Um, I hadn't come into contact with them at dental school. I hadn't come into contact with them uh, even my, my first year in foundation training my practice was quite sheltered um, so I, I spent more time with them really enjoyed it and then she recognized that and, and so I ended up seeing a lot of these anyone walked in it was me who who, who <laughs> saw them <laughs> uh, which is quite heavy yeah do you I mean it's interesting you say this wasn't something that you were particularly you weren't really you hadn't really worked with with this kind of group at university in your foundation year. do you think do you think this is a something that is a bit of an issue do you think this needs to be incorporated into university courses um so that you know like you said professionals such as yourself are more aware of how to treat people in that, that fall under this category yes most most definitely i'm i'm very passionate making sure that there is awareness of what special care is and to give undergraduates and younger dentists a taste of what my specialty entails because it's it's really really fulfilling I mean, in terms of what, a lot of the typical answers when you go to dental school in terms of why do you want to be a dentist? It's like, oh, I want to help people smile again. But, and that's fulfilling. And that's why a lot of people want to do orthodontics because you really have that impact on a patient's life. But equally, a lot of the patients I treat, we, have a, we can create a huge amount of impact um, by things that are really quite straightforward. The, the first patient who I saw on the walk-in clinic that I worked at who was homeless, he had seen, and he had tried to see three other dentists before coming to the walk-in clinic, um, and none of them agreed to see him because he couldn't pay or they said their lists were full or he didn't have a confirmed exemption. And all he needed was a tooth out. And I took that tooth out. It wasn't difficult, but before then he was, he said he really was using his drug habit and his alcohol habit to be able to keep on top of the pain and it got too much for him. And he'd been like every door he'd tried to access care before had mm. been closed on him. And it, 
that I that was kind of the moment for me that I was like well why aren't people like this getting yeah. the care that they need um what can I do and that's kind of what um triggered me to try and get more experience working in community and uh, yeah that's that's probably one of the pivotal moments yeah <laughs> I, can imagine. I can imagine I mean I mean I know you probably have quite a varied day-to-day schedule but what 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 does a day for you entail for example yeah every, every day is different <laughs> <laughs> um but that's I think that's the beauty of special care as well because you can do so much so I like yeah. have um so today I've been out in domiciliaries visiting people in care homes or who older people and people learning disabilities who are housebound um do bring, taking care out to them I spend uh, a day a week in theatres treating patients in a general anaesthetic who can't cope with any treatment any other way. I do a lot of sedation um, for patients who are either really anxious or, um, again, who have learning disabilities or other additional needs as well. Um, and yeah, I, do, I work with a, like, um, a lot with other professionals as well in terms of lots of the care that um, I provide as, as part of an MDT because of the complex needs of the people I look after. So we might have a, a rotation on like an oncology clinic where there are people who've been diagnosed with head and neck cancer or about to start um, treatment for their cancers. And they dentistry, you think, oh, it doesn't matter, but actually it can have a big impact in yeah, terms of uh, if they've got a tooth that needs taking out and you need to take it out before their cancer treatment, you need to get it out there and then because it could actually delay the start of their cancer treatment and that can delay their prognosis. So it, it, it's a lot about teamwork and communication and getting things, being flexible, but getting things done as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, I could, I mean, just as you were explaining that then, I was thinking, wow, this must have been seriously impacted um, by the pandemic. Um, obviously, the, the conversation is unavoidable. I have to bring it back in again because obviously there's, there's one level, there's, there's the PPE, but then obviously you've got, the additional challenge of, of working with, with patients who, like you said, might be nervous, they might have learning, um, learning difficulties. Um, and, and I can imagine that that made your job, um, yeah, quite challenging. So, so how's it been, obviously it's 8th of June, practices were, were opening back up again. Um, how's it been getting back to practice um, since the summer? It's been um, slow and steady. I think that there's still a lot of hesitance amongst my patient group either from them directly or from who look from their care homes or their carers because they're really really work they all basically all my patients basically are the shielding group or clinically vulnerable that's what we call it now isn't it clinically, clinically vulnerable. vulnerable yeah so during the first kind of few months of our urgent hubs we still were able to if there was a patient one of our patients mm. who uh, needed to be seen we would accommodate them um, but they didn't seem to come through initially because a lot of them uh, don't can't really speak for themselves. They need somebody to advocate for them because either they're you know they, they have difficulty communicating or they have cognitive impairment or a learning disability, um, or they avoid care unless absolutely necessary. Uh, so there wasn't really much initially during the first few months. But once kind of things um, started getting back back to more normal. Mm. It, Patients were coming a bit more out the woodwork in terms of, oh, there was a patient we saw who needed a wisdom tooth out. He had a learning disability and it was planned electively to done before the pandemic and it was postponed. But during that time, he, he, he basically was on cocodamol four times a day um, for about six months. 
waiting for his treatment and he couldn't tell it he couldn't tell his carers when he was in pain he probably was he's probably constipated by that point as well by taking that much cocodamol um and you just feel like and and it's really difficult now because whilst i'm lucky in the services i work in a lot of community-based services have had a huge impact of their access to general anaesthetic yeah. and to sedation yeah. lists because they rent theatre space. The theatre space is then being used to catch up on the other hospital lists, mm. um, or the anaesthetists are being used in ITU. Um, so, and we're very low on the priority list in terms of dental versus like an orthopedic list. Yeah. So, it, it's really created lots, lots, lots more barriers for people who had lots of barriers to face in the first place. Unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, we're not doing outreach in the same way because you, know, you don't want to take thing. You don't want to do something that could potentially spread uh, the virus, um, and you can't. It's it's really hard to communicate for anybody in this all this PP, let alone someone who's hard, who's got hearing impairment, exactly. or uh, you know who who relies on lip reading or doesn't understand the whole process of PP. We had one guy who had a phobia of masks, um, oh, no. which is a nightmare. Oh, no. Um, so, that's, not, uh, that's that, what you need during the pandemic oh no so we had to like take pictures of us with our masks on without our masks on and send through like a social story rehearse it do like a zoom call so he knew what we looked like yeah. because he could get really aggressive apparently he's like hit okay. members of the public before right. um so yeah we had to rehearse that quite a few times <laughs> yeah i can imagine that puts a Quite, quite a lot of pressure on you there to uh to do that successfully but I'm assuming it, it was you were you, you were successful you know you managed to to reassure reassure the patient and uh continue the treatment yeah yes event and actually it's been it's been good because that was during the first bit of the pandemic and now everyone's wearing masks so right. he doesn't have a phobia of masks anymore but I I'd like to say that's because of us but probably <laughs> definitely take credit for that you you started it off you 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 started to break down that fear yeah amazing <laughs> yeah I think and if I yeah if anyone still had a fear of masks now I'd be um be very surprised because they are they are everywhere obviously you also work with with um the homeless um and I've spoken to a, to a couple of other dentists over the last few months um who have sort of highlighted some key challenges of, of treating this particular group um, so what's what? How, how's that been um, over over the last few months? Have you seen? Is this some an area that you think needs some major improvement? Um, do you think the the pandemic has has worsened access to care for for the homeless? Or, or? it's I think in terms of general accessing healthcare, I think this has really improved during the pandemic in certain areas because of the everyone in campaign where they got everyone who was rough sleeping off the streets into hotels or student accommodation. And actually if you there's loads of reports about how the everyone in campaign saved over 300 lives in London or something like that from people who were rough sleeping, who probably would have died normally, not even from COVID, who would yeah, have just yeah. died because of exposure or yeah, overdose yeah. or whatever. Um, so that's been a really positive impact. Um, but dentistry, uh, has been a bit left behind in that and not really been included in the same way which isn't uh, an uncommon occurrence really is it um it's it's been such a shame it feels like it, it would it have been a perfect opportunity yeah. and there are there is some work that's been done in terms of trying to integrate oral health within 
hotels or hostels um, where you know where these people are now um, and there is some work being done but I don't feel like it's a huge amount or what a lot of the services that do provide care normally for yeah. this group aren't prioritizing it because they're trying to sort out the rest of their service yeah. um, so while this group is kind of the ad hoc and a little bit chaotic in terms of attendance or getting them into clinics mm. it, that's going to be bottom of the list in terms of priority in terms of you know vulnerable children or people in pain or patients who are waiting for treatment prior to their cancer treatment or whatever it might be and I get I get that um and we're not doing outreach for the you know we're worried about going out into community spreading things unnecessarily PPE um are we doing as much oral health promotion um, and taking, I think taking care out to community really works for this population group. And we don't want to do that because everyone needs to stay in their own homes and we need to stay in our clinics. Yeah. And that's kind of the rhetoric and the yeah, sock. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. I can imagine that that obviously is a, a barrier um, to access at the moment. I think going back to, like you said, the everyone, the everyone in campaign, it's frustrating that it took a pandemic for something like that to happen. Um, just goes to show that it is something that should have been done, you know, long, long time ago. And it shows that we do have the, the money for it. We know we've got the money for it, but we also do have the, the, um, the facilities for it as well. And like you said, it seems like at face value, the perfect opportunity to then send you guys out um, to, to, to then, uh, you know, treat them and, 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 and check they're getting, getting the right treatment and, and make sure that they're comfortable and not in pain. But, um, you know, I'm not surprised that uh, that hasn't happened. But, um, I mean, what I, I, there's been a lot of lessons, I think, that have people have taken away from the pandemic. But for you specifically, is there anything that is taught you that you, you, you're going to take away from it and sort of apply going forward as we start to hopefully edge out of, uh, edge out of it? I think going forward, we do, I do a lot of things without my patient in the room now. And it, in terms of all of the care, in terms like all of the phone calls that I make, all of the best interest meetings that I tune into via Teams, all of the NDTs that I can just log into now rather than turning up, at, like making sure I have a, a bit of time blocked off to go travel somewhere, and all of the meetings that you have normally. Um, and I think. I mean, it's, it's great. it doesn't replace some face-to-face -face interaction, whether that be with the patients or your colleagues or whatever. Um, but it does kind of increase that flexibility and change our way of working that I think we will continue post-pandemic. Um, the, the amount of times our patients, you know, might get referred to us and they'll be seen once by one team member. Oh, no, they decide they need a general anaesthetic. Okay, they need to go to another pre-assessment appointment with another team member. Oh, and then they have their treatment. And now we don't really do that. We get the referral. We get as much information from what we have already and do everything on the day. And in hindsight, I think, why did we not do that before? Yeah. Like, we were Finally, there's a lot of patients I have who come see us. It's not easy to get into a clinic and it's not easy to get into clinic for a lot of people anyway in terms yeah. of time off work and all of that. So why weren't we not doing as much? As, I mean, some patients you do need to have a bit more assessment than just a phone call, but a lot of patients you don't. Um, and isn't it easier to do a, a pre-assessment over the phone or via video link um, than, than going forward? That's cheaper in terms of, the cost for us but for the NHS 
but it's better for the patient as well. So um, hopefully, and I think it will go, hopefully that will be taken forward in, in post-pandemic anyway. And, and then we will just have to see our patients when they need to come and see us. And it might increase flexibility in terms of convenience for everybody. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, tele-dentistry was something that people were quite unsure of prior to the pandemic. A lot of a lot of clinicians anyway. Um, it was sort of a word I think was thrown around, but people didn't quite understand how it could uh, be a benefit. Uh, but it's definitely, definitely sped that up and, and hammered home that actually there is some value in, in talking to people like you and I are doing right now. Um, and like you said, in terms of efficiency, um, saving money um it's it can it can yeah work wonders um i think but i mean obviously that's a that's a good thing that is that is coming out of it and like you said uh, hopefully it's something that that you do take forward um, and use to your advantage but what do you think some of the key challenges are now looking ahead um i want to say post covid because hopefully one day there is going to be we will be able to use that term but yeah post covid what do you think some of the key challenges will be for nhs dentistry and, and particularly for vulnerable groups I think um, for everyone, it's going to be that backlog of those 14 million appointments or whatever it was, the BDA came out the other day uh, that have been postponed. And uh, I was thinking about it and that's 14 million appointments and um, that's probably more treatment. And then all of the you know missed oral cancer screenings um, that are particularly pertinent as Mouth, Ca Mouth um, Cancer Action Month. And we have, I mean, anecdotally, I have seen uh, on our, on our oncology clinics, people who've presented with tumours that are much bigger um, in terms of their progression, or, oh, I had some ulceration during the pandemic, but I just wanted to manage it myself. Um, so I kept putting bond gel on it for months, and then and then I went to the dentist. So, you know, I don't know the exact numbers, but it doesn't matter if it's one patient or 20,000. That's, that's a late presentation that could have been prevented. And I, these are the people who are then presented. Like, I don't know how many other people might be out there who still have an access to dentists and or have via telephone ass assessment that but still there's things that have missed because you're not screening um, and particularly in vulnerable groups people who are really anxious of dentists and dental interventions who avoid everything at all costs anyway um, or in terms of as well for our patients who um, might not live with their family but are in care homes or sheltered accommodation they're not seeing their relatives and actually their relatives are often the people who actually perform oral care and look in their mouth um, rather than their carers because it's something that's personal you go visit a relative you might want to brush their hair paint their nails and brush their teeth for them make them feel nice but no one's doing that right now because we can't currently go and do that and um, so we are also seeing a lot of more advanced disease or just poor oral care in um in care homes and hospitals and people are very anxious as well because if you know going near someone's mouth you know that's where COVID comes from really isn't it the lungs the mouth and so everyone's very very anxious about it so um long-term impact of that is people might decline their oral health might decline and also get into bad habits so especially you know maybe even younger children as well where um, it's become more of a struggle getting bad habits grazing on you know, at home snacking all day during the pandemic we've had a you know bad instance of caries already in children and now accessing GA is really hard for for adults and children and um, so it's going to have a very very long term impact and it will push it will change the what the care that we provide in the NHS to uh, more kind of rather than 
prevention and, uh, and proactiveness is reactiveness and treatment of pain emergent, rather than the other way around, which obviously we know, we know from public health measures, it's better to be proactive and prevent problems, but we just haven't been able to do that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and um, it doesn't surprise me when you said that people put it off. I think in a way, a lot of people do that. Um, they think, you know, it's, it's, it's okay, it's fine. It's, it's not anything to worry about. And then suddenly it actually is something to worry about. Um, and that's a, that's, that's a real shame. Um, but going forward and to, to, with these, these issues in mind, what do you think clinicians can do um, to increase prevention, the awareness of prevention, um, sorry, and then sort of make patients aware of what to look out for? I think it's using our the communication with our patients that we might tend have a little bit but need to improve that actually we're more used to you know communicating over an app social media websites um hopping on trends like you know having awareness months are great there's so there's aware there's an awareness months for everything but you can relate a lot of those things to something about dentistry um like the check-in not check-up um concept that the SPD, the Paediatric Society have, have um, their toolkit is very good in terms of, this is not a checkup, I'm checking in to see how you're doing, um, have you got any problems, these are signs that you can look at in your child, out for in your child, and um, these are messages that you, you, you need to be aware of in terms of ch your child's oral health, and that can be applied to everybody, everyone should have a check-in, not a check-up, if you can't access that. Um, and you know not just oh do you have a dental problem no you don't okay bye and um, be more specific about that like uh, okay do you have any broken teeth do you have any sharp teeth do you notice anything in your mouth that's different like a lot of things like that and then using the opportunity to deliver um prevent prevention as part of that and it's not just a role for a dentist it's a role for the whole dental team for your dental nurses for your therapist um to your dental technicians even um in terms of dental care um i know they are struggling at the moment as well but everyone has a role to play in terms of prevention and improve, improving our health and getting oral health more on the agenda in terms of the general health agenda um we all hear about you know in terms of change for life sugar diabetes and children sugar tax diabetes and children and obesity hang on what about tooth decay what about the how many million the nhs spends on childhood extractions it's probably gonna be worse now um so it's incorporating oral health in the agenda of general health and um, because people don't listen to just oral health um on its own it needs to be integrated with somebody else and it needs to be shouted about by people who aren't dentists um, and that's what i think makes the most impact when we do our oral health training with doctors actually yeah. getting that champion can create a much more impact than me as hi i'm the dentist like it's almost like people sometimes have the automatic oh she's only a, they're only a dentist or they switch off and they go, oh i hate the dentist or they go, like it's getting someone who's just part of i noticed this have you read um have you read any of adam k books and like this is i haven't i've heard that i've heard it's worth it no, it's hilarious. It's really good. I recommend them. Um, but he did a he did a thank you NHS book um, 
over the first wave. Um, and I read it. It's a really good book. So definitely read it and all the I profits go to energy charity as well. Um, but the, the thing that really groped me on the, on the end of his, his first like forward, there's a whole list, a page and a half of everyone who works in the NHS in terms of porters, cleaners, pharmacists, occupational therapists, phlebotomists, doctors, nurses, goes on and on and on. A dentist in there. Oh, no. <laughs> what? Oh, Still, you still recommend the book despite that? Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> because actually, then you go okay. Well, we're not including this, but then when you read through, so it's like a lot of um, stories from other from celebrities and stuff about their experience at the NHS, and actually a lot of them have as part of that a dental experience. And even one person says a dentist cured my chronic headaches because they recognised it was a tooth and not a migraine or something. Um, so we really do matter and we should be included and we're included in the main part of the book it's just that first forward and that's my own, only my main growth about that book that is frustrating but that just sums it up really doesn't it you know it you in the the actual book itself there's people talking about how great you are and the work you do has completely transformed their health and well-being but then <laughs> at the beginning of the book you're just completely omitted from the the list of people who work for the NHS just that's just unbelievable um i did tweet adam k pointing <laughs> this out but he didn't, he didn't reply you know what oh, we should all just we should start a campaign we should all just get out here and, uh, you know correct um no that's that's so frustrating um but i mean moving moving away from dentistry a little bit well actually probably completely um to to, to round this up uh, round this off even um what what do you like to do outside of dentistry um so I, I can imagine you're probably quite busy a lot of the time, but when you do uh, yeah, finish your day or uh, the weekends, is there any hobbies you, any hobbies you have? So pre-pandemic, <laughs> um, <laughs> that's a caveat, it's everything, isn't it? Pre-pandemic. Um, <laughs> I mean, I love, I loved going, I love going to the gym. I love like exercising and stuff. And so like the fact that the second lockdown has closed the gyms again has been a bit of a, a big um, has a bit has had a big impact and also the other thing that I love to do me and my boyfriend do a lot is going to heavy metal gigs and concerts and that's definitely something that's going to be the last thing that um, opens again can you imagine like a sweaty monster okay. like front like that's going to be that's going to be <laughs> marinating yourself in people's assholes <laughs> Um, I can't wait for gigs to opening I've got tickets booked for some next year and I'm keeping my fingers crossed When's the first one? April. That is right on the cusp. <laughs> no. Can you imagine like a socially distanced gig? It will definitely not be. I'd, I think good. I would probably ask for my money back if I could get it back. Um, but I, I don't know about you, but you must look back to gigs that you've, you've been to and just think, wow, remember when we could mix in such a, in hindsight, quite a disgusting way, but also just like the most natural way as well, because obviously, you know, it's, we're humans like that's that's how we live um but uh, <laughs> I think my fingers are crossed for you that they are uh, yeah the vaccine is rolled out successfully and uh, we can all go go back to uh back to normal but what about post-pandemic it's funny because I feel like a lot of people have been splitting it pre-pandemic post-pandemic uh I guess like um I've I spent a lot of time during the first lockdown when I wasn't working, just lying in our par local park, just like enjoying oh, the sunshine. Yeah. Um, and I think we were blessed 
that like that was the only like a very good thing that on hindsight when you look back you go, okay yeah we couldn't go traveling abroad but why would you need to because you had such excellent weather um I guess yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think what I actually do after dentistry I guess now I, I just end up uh trying to trying to switch off I've got this new thing at eight o'clock no more emails no more screen time good. I can watch tv um doing some trying to get good habits again like okay I can't go to the gym but I can do virtual yoga or something like that um reading books again trying to get into those habits um I'm a very good person at going like I love browsing bookstores which means I have loads of books but not a lot of time to read them and at least now I have a I don't have that excuse. <laughs> I'm, I'm also uh, very good at doing that as well. I'll be like, I want to get that book. I've got a pile that doesn't ever get smaller. It just grows. Um, but yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think lockdown um, and, and after that, I think it's people rekindled um, passions that they, they might have had previously but didn't have the time for. Um, so I think there are definitely some, some good things we can take away from that at a personal level. Um, but, but thank you very much for coming on today. Um, it's been been really interesting, um, and yeah, I hope you have a, a good rest of your the rest of the year. Great, thank you.